0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Voorhees at Work podcast. My name is Jackie Ford. I'm a partner in the Labor and Employment Group at the Voorhees Law Firm, and I'll be your host today. Our topic today is the rapidly changing landscape of U.S. immigration law and what it means for U.S. employers in particular. The U.S. government is imposing some much tighter restrictions on legal immigration than it has in the past and generally tightening criteria for entry into the U.S. and opportunities for foreign nationals to remain in the U.S. once they are here. Many longstanding policies about immigration are in flux. And that makes it very challenging for any U.S. employers whose talent pools include workers from other countries, so that's why we wanted to talk about that on the podcast. Joining me on the podcast today to talk about all that is my colleague and law partner, Dave Cook. Dave has over 30 years' experience as an immigration lawyer, and I think it's fair to say that Dave is truly an expert on virtually all aspects of U.S. immigration law. Now, one of the other interesting things about Dave is that He has done a lot of his immigration work for Japanese-owned or operated companies and now serves as Honorary Consul of Japan for the state of Ohio. Dave, with all that said, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Jackie. I'm glad to uh, be with you today.
0: Dave, before we talk about the, the substance of what's going on in U.S. immigration law for employers, can you explain what, what does it mean to be the Honorary Consul of Japan, what does that involve?
1: Sure, um, and I'm still learning myself. It's a five-year appointment by the Government of Japan and the U.S. State Department. Uh, the Consul General in Detroit is responsible for both Ohio and Michigan, but since he's located in Michigan, he uh, appoints a representative in Ohio And my primary responsibility is to encourage and strengthen U.S.-Japan economic, cultural, and educational relationships.
0: Well, that sounds like a big task. So uh, I congratulate you on it and and wish you all the best with it. Um, And again, thank you for joining the podcast today. As you and I were talking about this earlier and talking about all this change that's going on in U.S. immigration law, uh, in the current environment, you used two phrases that struck me in, in, in terms of summarizing what's going on. One of those phrases was, nothing is routine. And the other was, employers in the middle, to describe what so many employers are facing right now in terms of immigration issues. Can you summarize us for us what employers are in the middle of?
1: Right. What I would say, Jackie, is everyone sort of anticipated with the Trump administration and the U.S. departments uh, that he oversees and is responsible for, or his administration oversees, is that uh, there would be an emphasis on law enforcement and on uh, illegal immigration. But what we've seen is that has very clearly uh, been a, a focus not only on illegal immigration, but also, as you mentioned, on the business related immigration. And so what we see with respect to nothing being routine and that sort of phrase is that past practices that employers engaged in may not be sufficient and we'll explain that as we talk about some of the changes that have come about. But underlying much of what's catching employers in the middle is this executive order that's called Buy American, Hire American. And so each of the cabinet level, level agencies have been encouraged to look at their operations and look at how best they can encourage individuals to buy American and companies to hire Americans.
0: So those are fairly broad, um, sweeping policy positions and initiatives. Can you walk us through what you think are the most important of those uh, developments as they've been being announced and and implemented this year by Homeland Security and and other divisions of the government?
1: Sure, and I think it all starts about 18 months ago when uh, Attorney General uh, Sessions uh, uh, specifically uh, went about uh, a rescission process for any of the previous policy guideline that had guidelines that had been issued primarily by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, including the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, as well as ICE and other agencies under the Department of Homeland Security. So it goes back to that 18 months or so ago where he rescinded the previous policy guidelines and then the administration started issuing new policy guidelines and new policy memos. And today we're going to talk about three of those just briefly. The first was issued on August 9th of this year and it was a memo that dealt with unlawful presence of students and exchange visitors. The second one we'll talk about is the USCIS issuance of what are called notices to appear? And that memorandum or that guidance was issued on June 28th, but then uh, began to be implemented on October 1st. And it's being implemented on sort of a, uh, a phased in basis and we'll talk about that as well. And then the third and final memo that we'll talk a little bit about today is uh, a memo that was issued on July 13th that was uh, effective as of September 11th and that's where the USCIS now uh, has has the discretion to deny petitions without first issuing what's called a request for evidence or a request for additional information before they can either uh, deny the petition or or uh, provide a notice of intent to deny.
0: Well, the first thing that strikes me about all three of those, Dave, and I'll, I'll let you talk to us about the substance of them, but all of those are significant changes all happening in a space of really just a few months' time, uh, from last June to as, as recently as early October. But that's a lot of change in a short period of time.
1: It really is, and as you look at each one, just the plain language of the memos may appear to be uh, separate and apart, but they're really building blocks on what we're seeing as a policy within the administration to to quite honestly discourage legal immigration. And again, going back to the Buy American, Hire American, The way the administration would characterize it, of course, is that we're encouraging the hiring of American workers, which when you look at the current uh, unemployment numbers, it's a tough thing for employers in a way that they now are being caught in the middle. So first, let's talk a little bit about the uh, unlawful presence memo for students and and exchange visitors that was issued uh, in August. Uh, Previously, students were admitted to the US not for a particular period of time with an end date, but for the time it took them to complete their studies, or what we called in immigration, a duration of stay. And so what this new memo basically is going to do is put more definite periods on their period of stay and if it's determined that at some point in their studies regardless of whether it was the student's responsibility or even possibly their school responsibility that they did not maintain exactly their status during that period they could be then found to be unlawfully present and the the difficulty with that becomes it uh it can be retroactively applied and depending on the length of unlawful presence students may find that they're banned from the United States for a 3 or 10 year period
0: so if you're an employer that you that is employing say a, a foreign student who's currently attending a university in your community or something that may be something you need to work with that uh student to keep on top
1: of right Exactly. And just having a little more uh, thought about their history and the time that they've spent in the United States and and to the extent possible, gaining some level of comfort that they've been able to maintain their status throughout their studies. So next, let's talk about the memo that addresses the issue of notices to appear. Um, with the implementation of this memo, it's interesting, USCIS is basically abandoning 20 years of consistent policy in favor of sort of a retroactive approach. And so, um, again, they're going to be looking back at how can we determine you know, whether someone has maintained their status continually throughout their stay in the United States. Um, So beginning on October 1st, the USCIS, or US Citizenship and Immigration Services, may now issue what are called notices to appear on uh, denied status impacting applications. And they're going to roll this out Uh, over different types of applications, but beginning with what's called the Form I-485, which is an application to, uh, to adjust status, which is part of the green card process. And also on the form I 539, which is an application to change or extend status. Um, for right now, this notice to appear policy memo will not be implemented with respect to specific employment based applications. However, what happens in these circumstances where it's being implemented is. If the USCIS denies an application or a petition and it leaves the individual without lawful status, USCIS will then refer this case or uh, basically issue a charging document that will place the individual in removal proceedings or in other words, in in immigration court. And uh, the difficulty with this is Even if an individual would then choose to leave the United States on their own, being issued a notice to appear means that they can't leave without getting the court's permission. And so we'll see uh, courts that are already uh, overburdened trying to deal with this new notice to appear memorandum that will just create uh, a further backlog in the courts and basically put individuals into limbo, not allowing them to work, not allowing them to be here lawfully, but also not allowing them to leave.
0: So from an employer's perspective, Dave, if I have a foreign national working for me on one of these uh, visas, is there anything I should or even can be doing proactively to make it less likely that my business is going to be affected by one of those actions?
1: Sure. The first thing you can do is file applications as early as possible. Now, there are filing restrictions on how early an application can be filed, but you want to file those, follow those guidelines and file, for example, extensions 180 days prior to the expiration so that applications don't continue to to or be pending beyond the expiration date of a person's status. Now this has been uh, complicated in part by uh, the Immigration Service taking away certain premium processing options, but again from an employer's perspective, filing as early as possible. Number two, filing as complete an application as possible over-documenting everything. One of the uh, impacts of uh, Attorney General Sessions' revocation of previous memos or previous guidance was to say that in the past, USCIS would give deference to an approval. So if someone had been approved for a particular status, USCIS in the case of an extension, was to give deference to that uh, decision. He now has said, no, officers do not give deference to previous decisions. They need to look at every application as though it's new. And so even though someone may have been approved previously, it doesn't mean that the USCIS has to approve extensions in that same situation.
0: So, Dave, it sounds like in this instance and in so many others that you're talking about, given the changing landscape and giving the, given the sort of aggressive uh, policy and enforcement attitude that's being taken by the administration, this is something that any employer with uh, employees here on a visa really needs to be very attentive and thorough about.
1: Right and that brings us to the third and final memo that we'll talk about today and that was the memo that was issued on July 13th but became effective on September 11th and what this memo basically said is officers now have the discretion to simply deny applications or deny petitions without asking for additional evidence from the employer. And so, the past practice was often if there was some concern by the officer that an individual maybe didn't qualify or that a position was not appropriate, they would issue what was called a request for evidence to the employer to provide additional explanation or additional supporting documentation as to why the individual qualified or the position qualified. But under this new policy memo, the officers have the discretion to simply deny applications without requesting additional information or without issuing what's called a notice of intent to deny. And so this uh, this policy will, uh, in essence, go hand in hand with the notice to appear memo, and if someone is denied without an opportunity to provide additional information, it may be that that puts them out of status, and then USCIS is issuing a notice of intent to, or a notice to appear, which places them in removal proceedings.
0: Wow. So, as you say, all three of those are working hand in glove, again, as part of a broader Uh, more aggressive enforcement, Um, I wanted to ask you about a a fourth um, related topic, because I've started hearing about this from clients, and I would like to to know what you think about this, Um, and that is the intersection of U.S. policy on marijuana and U.S. policy on immigration. Um, I've been told that uh, the uh, policy of the federal government is that because marijuana remains illegal uh, under U.S. federal law, that the U.S. regards involvement in the marijuana business uh, as the equivalent of drug trafficking, even for individuals who are coming into this country who have been involved in, say, the marijuana business in a country like Canada, which has legalized that product nationwide, um, that the U.S. government takes the position at the border that... If the individual trying to come into the country has had any involvement in any aspect of the marijuana business, that person is considered a drug trafficker and could be subject to a lifelong ban from entering this country and that that lifelong ban possibility also can be applied to individuals simply on the basis of saying yes to the question as to whether they have ever in their lifetime smoked marijuana. Is that, in fact, the current U.S. policy, Dave, and have you seen reports of that policy being enforced?
1: Um, It is the the potential impact of that policy, and and more so than determining that they're uh, a trafficker. I think where the, the fear will become is the statute talks about aiding and abetting trafficking. And so that's where the concern really arises. And there's uh, statements out there by U.S. officials who say, you know, marijuana is still a controlled substance. It's a Schedule I controlled substance. And so if individuals are involved in that industry, then they are, uh, by definition of our uh, immigration laws, inadmissible to the United States. And so if they seek to... Be admitted to the US and they have it's been determined that they're involved in that industry, then, as you say, they could be a trafficker or more likely aiding and abetting trafficking uh, in the cannabis uh, industry, and so. With Canada, with the legalization just occurring in uh, the beginning of October, it's still a a brave new world and we'll see how immigration uh, approaches this. But uh, as we have trade disputes, as we have other political disputes with Canada, we see that often impacting how officers treat treat, uh, applicants for entry into the United States at our borders.
0: Well, and it's it's probably too early to tell, but I can imagine a situation where an employer says, look, if that's the landscape, uh, do I need to look closely at the resumes of anyone I'm considering doing business with uh, who might be coming into this country from, say, Canada, whether they're coming in as a contractor, a business partner, or as an employee? Um, if I see anything on the resume that indicates involvement in uh, the cannabis business, do I need to um, take a moment to consider whether that could be an obstacle to the working relationship. Um, uh, And I don't think, you know, from an employment perspective, we're probably at a point where we're going to advise people to ask, uh, you know, potential uh, workers coming from other countries, hey, by the way, uh, when's the last time you smoked marijuana? For lots of reasons that we probably would not want to make that inquiry, um, but it, it could end up being a relevant factor if, if there's a possibility that they might be asked about that question uh, at the border. So as you say, it's a it's a brave new world, and a lot of it is is still unfolding. And Dave, my, my takeaway, I think, from what you've been sharing with us today is, again, just the importance of incredible uh, thoroughness, attention to detail, and timeliness uh, when employers are navigating these waters, whether in regard to current uh, employees or contractors who are in the U.S. on a a work-related visa, um, who are students, uh, or who are otherwise potentially subject to these restrictions, uh, again, coming back and forth into the U.S. And so for those of you who are dealing with these issues or anticipate dealing with these issues, they are certainly complex and changing all the time. Uh, But fortunately, we have Dave and the rest of our team here at Voorhees to help you with those if you need that assistance. So if you need help putting together policies or practices, if you have questions about these issues or want to try to develop checklists or best practices to help you navigate this situation and have some built-in flexibility to allow you to adapt to those regulations as they may change over time, please feel free to contact Dave or me or any of your other uh, contacts here at the Voorhees Labor and Employment Group, and we can help you put those systems in place. Or answer any other questions you may have Dave thank you again for a great conversation today and thank you all for listening and now let's get back to work